Welcome to the Millionaire Mindcast, where we broadcast weekly interviews with millionaire minds from across the globe to empower you on your journey of unlocking a rich and fulfilling life. It's time to unleash your millionaire within. Now, here's your host, Maddie A. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's show. We've got an amazing guest for our Millionaire Mindcast family, introducing to you Mr. Ryan Blair, who honestly is a -a one-of-a-kind, unique entrepreneurial journey. The amount of success that he has unlocked and experienced is really unlike most will ever experience in their lifetime. He is a New York Times bestselling author and a very successful serial entrepreneur. I mean, I'm sure you've seen him in the likes of pretty much any publication from Forbes and Business Insider to Dr. Phil, Lewis Howes, Fox News, CNN, you name it. He's been on all of those platforms for a reason, though, is because he truly is someone that comes from a place of service and giving and generosity. Uh, But it wasn't always that way. And you're going to hear a little bit more about his story and where it all started and his kind of beginning in entrepreneurship, but in a much more illegal capacity and how some of that illegal entrepreneurship and the things that he learned and the pain that he experienced became the platform and the stepping stone for getting him into the space that really unlocked so much abundance and opportunity, being a co-founder for Visalis Sciences. Many of you know it as the multi-level marketing company that he did billions of dollars in sales in and very successfully exited and unlocked wealth that as you'll hear him talk about, more than he'll ever know what to do with and how he's using his money to make a difference and to create a legacy and to have true impact. And right now, that is through AlterCall, which is his entrepreneurship platform that he believes is going to allow us to transform and change the world for many decades and centuries beyond when we pass. And you're going to hear some of the mindset and the discipline and the habits, his you know, ideology around hustle and ego and, you know, this aggressive kind of beast mode masculine side, but also you're going to hear many threads and narratives of things that are rooted in the feminine and woo-woo. And I love the balance that he has because that's something that I resonate to in many ways of wanting to, you know, kill everything that's in front of me, but also having this gentleness and understanding that there is very much so an importance to having synergy between those two sides. We talked about culture and teams and CEO skill sets, his investment portfolio, what he likes to invest in, where he's allocated. We covered a ton of stuff in this episode. I didn't waste any questions. I'll just say that, guys. So this one's for you. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dig into Ryan Blair's episode right after this quick message from today's show sponsors. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer 
and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Well, I'm excited to welcome to the show, Mr. Ryan Blair of Alter Call. How we doing, man? I'm good, man. Thank you, Matthew, for having me. It's a pleasure. I got a, I got another West Coaster on the show. Uh, I'm up in Sacramento. You're down in LA. And so it's uh, it's always good to be in the same time zone and someone that uh, you know is, is building some really amazing stuff. I'm excited for the conversation here today and what our listeners are going to get to learn from you. But for many people that don't know... You know, I know we're going to talk about Alter Call and all the great stuff that you guys are focusing on going forward. Let's just look in the rearview mirror just for a quick second uh, and rewind and how you got on your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story. You know, I always had it in me to be an entrepreneur. I think I was born to be a leader. I had demonstrated leadership early on in my life. I had you know, multiple paper routes. I had multiple um, lemonade stands. You know, I was always trying to figure out how to make money to some extent, even at a young age, very young age. Um, and, and I lived in a middle-class environment. My dad was an engineer. He was uh, very successful for the middle class. Um, you know, and we were, we had the you know, nicest house in the block and, you know, in the neighborhood we lived in, we had the best pool and I got new bikes and skateboards for Christmas time and birthdays were great. Um, but Underneath all of that, there was a lot of, of dysfunction going on. My father was a very violent individual, uh, and he became addicted to drugs. And, you know, slowly the middle class environment that I had was eroded because of his drug addiction and my mother's alcoholism. And soon my family would fall apart at about 13 years old. You know, I went from this beautiful middle class environment and, you know, with great friends and, you know, and, and just a great environment. And I was uh, forced to, you know, completely change my identity and move into a, an area that was you know, filled with gangs and poverty. And, you know, I had to adapt to a whole new environment. And so at about 14 years old, I was, you know, living across the street from a park that was filled with gang members and vagrants and, you know, constant crime. And I started uh, getting recruited by that group of people and, you know, around that time, I, I was forced into a gang and, and then I became an illegal entrepreneur. So, you know, I, I learned everything about illegal entrepreneurship, not everything, but I got pretty good at it. Um, and uh, and I started going to juvenile hall and started getting in trouble a lot. 
And, you know, it's easy for me to tell you being in a gang and tell you the good about it. But having done a lot of shadow work, like we did some terrible things to some people. You know, we, we were very violent. We shot people. People got killed. People were extorted and violated. And it was just a tremendous war zone for a 14-year-old kid to be thrown into. And having no moral compass, no parent, parental uh, values at all, you know, instilled on me. Because even though we were in the middle class, my parents were still, you know, they, they didn't instill values. Uh, I adopted the values of the, the elders on the streets, the OGs, as they call them. And we did some despicable, heinous things um, that I, you know, I, I regret deeply. So I share that with you because a lot of interviews, people talk about the gang thing and it's, we gloss over it. But there was some terrible things that I did and I witnessed that I wish, you know, I would have never had to do or witness. Um, I was about to head to prison for about four years. And uh, I made a decision I was going to write a judge and beg for leniency. Most of the time, this never works. The judge, judges don't care. They don't read it. Uh, but something on my heart said, write him a letter. And I did. And I wrote him a letter. And I wasn't a good writer. wasn't certainly not a good speller. I'm still not. But whatever words I'd come up with had convinced that judge to give me leniency. And as a result of that, you know, at the sentencing, I was facing four years. He said, son, you should be writing in college, not in prison. And that's when I decided I'd become a writer. And I, I realized that I had some a powerful ability to express myself in the written word, although no skill or training in it, but I, I could express myself in the written word. Um, and shortly after that, I made a commitment that I was going to leave the gang and I was never going to show back up in front of that judge again. And the mentor showed up in my life that was a successful entrepreneur. And, uh, and then the rest is history. I became a, a legal entrepreneur, a, a legal entrepreneur, as opposed to an illegal entrepreneur. And uh, I was about 17 at that time that I, I got bit by the entrepreneurial bug and I've been one ever since. That's amazing, man. And I want to I want to talk about your kind of your, your first big success in uh, your company and your exit. But b- before we kind of you know transition into that season of your life, I, I heard some things that you know um, I relate to in, in a big way. I got expelled from high school. I got arrested in college. A big part of that was you know when you're hanging around nine people, smoking and drinking and doing drugs and fighting and hurting people and stealing, you become the tenth person, right? And you yeah. adopt, like you said, the, those values just by being in proximity to those people, that thinking, that environment. Um, but I also learned a lot of good stuff around some of those people that when directed and applied in the right vehicle in the right way with the right intention can actually do some good. And I'm curious what some of those uh, things were in your illegal yeah. entrepreneurship days are that you carried through into your first business. Well, I mean, for one, you always got to buy low and sell high. <laughs> That's right, man. <laughs> Two, I learned a little bit about importing and exporting. Um, I, I learned that it's much easier to tear a car, uh, tear a car apart and sell the pieces than it is to build one. Um, you know, uh, I learned I learned a lot of stuff. But you know, I think that what I would tell you that you know I reflect on now is if you're capable of creating a big problem, which pretty much every human being can create a really big problem, you're equally capable of creating a big solution. And so the energy that I was able to expend in creating havoc and damaging society and costing taxpayer money, I've been able to channel into paying a whole lot of taxes and to contributing jobs and 
creating value in society. And so this is what I share with people. It's sometimes it's really easy to, ma- to imagine how much bad you can do because we all could go start tearing apart a house. If you can do that, you can equally build one up. And, mm-hmm. and so that's what I teach people. I think that's the most profound wisdom that I've walked away with. Now, if only every criminal would realize that. The other thing is, is it's much easier to be a legal entrepreneur than it is to be an illegal entrepreneur. As an illegal entrepreneur, I'd worry about being shot, being sabotaged, being overthrown in my position of power, being ratted on, going to jail. Like I had to worry about my parents getting, or my mom getting killed. I had to worry about friends getting killed. I had to worry about a lot of things that as a legal entrepreneur, you know, the worst I have to worry about is gossip and, you know, some bitch assness every once in a while, right? Got to worry about that, right? Versus, you know, is this person here to kill me, basically? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously, when a lot of people, I think, um, they struggle with my past equals my future. What I was, you know, or who I am right now is ultimately what dictates what I can do, can't do, and what, you know, the, the road ahead looks like. How were you able to shed that identity and, and step into something new as you embarked on your entrepreneurial journey? Well, you know, I've always been very spiritual. And so I prayed a lot. You know, I, I have to tell you that all of the, the bad that I did has just gotten me closer to God. Mm. And there's no better way to get closer to God than to suffer and to, you know, get hit rock bottom a number of times. That is, that is the, the most holiest place on the planet. And so I get the chills just telling you this. The more that I've suffered and the more that I've hit rock bottom, the closer I've become to God. And as a result of that, I've been able to pray my way out of some very difficult situations and pray my way into, you know, a new identity and a new way of life and, and to overcome some, some things that I did to myself, even as an adult, that, you know, that I'm not proud of. They were very ugly and, you know, and by the grace of God, I'm now here today to be able to share the wisdom I've learned along the way. And I've realized that, you know, my mission on this earth, I came here to get close to God. And from a spiritual standpoint, I set up a series of obstacles that would give me no choice but to, mm. right? When you think about the soul's journey, it's like suffering was the teacher that my soul needed the medicine of. And otherwise, I would, you know, I, I, I would not be here today in service as you know, I am. So I look at suffering as my greatest teacher, better than any of my college professors. I ended up going to college and I've ended up educating myself tremendously having dropped out of high school. I, you know, after I became an entrepreneur, I had a reason to be educated and I've dived deep into education. Uh, But it was all because, you know, of a lot of suffering that I needed to steer me in that direction. Absolutely. I know pain has definitely been my greatest teacher. And I think for most people that well, the pain that they experience is usually either the launching pad for 2.0 in their life, their relationships, yeah. themselves, or or it becomes the the excuse, right? And the reason why why life sucks and where they stay at for the rest of their lives. And you obviously use that as a as a stepping stone and a launching pad into, you know, Ryan 2.0 and 3.0 and 4.0. And you've accomplished some amazing things in business that many people haven't accomplished before in terms of a very large exit. And I know that there's some, you know, X's and O's and strategy in there that, you know, our audience could definitely gain some wisdom and insight from. So 
for those that don't know what your business was and how that was built and where it ended up going, what did that look like? Well, yeah, so I built multiple businesses. I I started my career doing uh, with a company that I created called, well, I started my career as an engineer and I learned technology. And I happened to be blessed to be at the right time at the right place in a startup that was growing very fast in the mid 90s and late 90s. So I got to see web 1.0. I got to see, you know, the the computer move into every household. I got to see everyone basically move toward technology and the skill set that I had at that time was in high demand. I I on the streets I would steal computers and reprogram them. That was my racket because no none of the other guys in the gang were smart enough to figure out how to go steal and reprogram computers. And I was like this is the future. I would go steal from this software company or the store called Egghead. I steal books on programming and books on computer repair. And I'd sit in my room all night long, 24 hours a day, repairing computers that had been stolen on the streets that I would buy that no one knew how to sell because no one knew how to reprogram them in a way that wouldn't get them caught, basically. So that was my my first foray, foray into computers. And then I got a job at a company that I learned software engineering and I learned about big computer science and data centers and things like that. And then I decided that I was going to venture out on my own and start a company called 24-7 Tech, which was basically, if your computer's a wreck, call 24-7 Tech. And I would repair it. And it started with, you know, yours truly, taking calls 24 hours a day, seven days a week to help people with their computers. I realized that wasn't very scalable. <laughs> and then I started a company called Sky Pipeline, which was an early pioneer in broadband wireless communication. We were the, like one of the very first business broadband wireless service providers uh, in America, and we became the largest. And I had an exit exit in that business when I was 24 uh, in a $25 million transaction. And that was the first wealth creation event that I had. From there, I basically gave it all away. I, I All the money that I'd earned from that transaction, I, I spent on bottle service and cars and bragging and ego and went to rock bottom and was basically out of money, but I had some credentials and with, you know, with, with nothing to lose, I basically decided I was going to start my next business, which was called Vaisalas. Learning from the, the mistakes and the errors and, and what I learned at Sky Pipeline, I found an analogy and I found a much more scalable model in a company called Vaisalas and that I would, wouldn't have to deploy trucks and assets to mountaintops to be able to provide customers with service. I could ship them consumer products, basically. And so I loved that business. And it came with the scalable Salesforce model. And in fact, I acquired Vaisalas in like a $70,000 transaction with some investors that I brought along and some co-founders. And we then uh, built it into a business that you know did uh, $635 million a year and billions in revenue from there. So I know I've glossed over some things. Now, I've also been an investor, and I'm happy just to share a little of the credentials. Yeah, please. So that way, yeah, so that way you guys can probe and ask questions. But I've been an investor in some notable startups that have that have you know become unicorns. Um, I've you know been an advisor to a number of large uh, companies, and right now, you know, I've also been a venture capitalist for a small period of time. Um, I've had failure after failure after failure. I've had miserable failures in product launches, in country launches, in acquisitions, and you know, and, and you name it. So. You know, if I could be of service in any way, that's what I'm here to do to share with the audience what I've learned along the way. I love it, man. And I mean, like I said, not too many people have, you know, 
check the boxes that you have in business and wealth. And so there's always, right, I'm a, I'm a constant student of life and always looking for my next teacher. And we got a great one here on the show today. So I'm excited to have you. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm always curious in terms of what do you feel like your unique superpower or skill set is that you double and triple down on seven days a week, 365 days a year? If nothing else, that one thing. Well, I mean, I would say my faith and my faith as an entrepreneur, there's faith spiritually, which is a big portion of that. But as an entrepreneur, I have faith that I'm going to be able to figure it out. And I have faith when the revenue is low that I'm going to figure it out. When people leave or investors sue or this happens or that happens, I've had a strong element of faith that is led me to believe that I would get through it. And so I would say faith is my superpower. And, you know, the spiritual faith is a key component of how I've developed entrepreneurial faith. But on the entrepreneurial faith, you know, I don't allow people to talk me out of what I'm planning on doing. And I have no idea how everything's going to unfold. I have strategies. And I know that once you start working on the strategy, that throw it away, basically, because, you know, the odds of it actually manifesting exactly as you plan or limited. So I don't crave order. You know, I thrive in chaos and I'm willing to, you know, roll up my sleeves, get in the weeds and work on problems day in and day out. And as an entrepreneur, you are simply a problem solver. And the more that you solve problems on the inside of your walls, the more that you can solve the problems in the marketplace on the outside of your walls. Mm. And so I'm a problem solver. And, you know, on every single day, I get hit with 20 different problems that I got to solve. And the better I am and the more efficient I am at that, the more that I solve them and let them go and don't overthink them, the more that I'm able to move forward and solve bigger, more important problems. That makes complete sense. And what I'm hearing there is just this unwavering belief and confidence and trust, you know, which is rooted in your faith that allows you to keep just taking the next right decision that you yeah. think is, is, is solving for, for that outcome, right? Not riding too yeah. high, not riding too low, just staying consistent, moving the needle forward, default yeah. action. Um, By the way, I, I got to tell you, I used to ride way too high and way too low, right? I used to, the guy you're talking to now has been to, you know, through the war, um, and so now as I apply this in my latest startup, you know, I just keep consistent. I have a whole nother level of understanding because, you know, I've, I've been doing this a long time mm-hmm. and, and the billions of dollars in revenue that I've generated, just, you know, don't think about it as I'll oh, look at the wealth I've created, think about it as the amount of experimentation that I've been able to, you know, to do as a result of having $2 billion in the entrepreneurial lab to, write a lot of bad checks and hire a lot of good people and hire a lot of bad people and, 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 and also fail as a leader a thousand times and pick myself back up and realize that I could have done better or I could have been more compassionate or I, you know, I could have been more consistent or whatever it is. So the person you're talking to right now is, is, you know, is, is a different person than say in the other ventures that I ran. Um, but I always tell people as entrepreneurs, it's much like building a house you know, once you build a house, the next house you build always is going to be better because mm-hmm. you know more. And the, the shortcut, the shortfalls in the house you built, you know, let's say it didn't have a good roof or the plumbing was a mess. You're never going to build it the same way. If you've learned from the old house, you're going to always build a better house. 
And so I've just built a number of great houses and now I, you know, I have a greater degree of craftsmanship in the process. Mm, I love that. Just using every iteration as an opportunity to optimize and tweak and take feedback. And how do you handle this conversation in your own head between, I like the, the word that you use because we joke around, you know, in some of my circles as well as, you know, how do you handle this bitch assness voice <laughs> in, in your head and also this like, killer, you know, beast mentality and find the balance between those two to find the sweet spot that serves you? You know, it, it is a difficult thing because if you're over, if, you know, if you're over on that whole alpha male ego thing, that bites you. And I know a lot of, you know, prominent gurus in this modern day and age, that'll tell mm-hmm. you it's all about ego, 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 and alpha male, alpha male, alpha male. And you know, and, and you will never hit your full capacity if that's, you know, the level that you're spiritually activated to. Yep. Um, you know, we have to have a balance between our masculine and our feminine. We have to, you know, have compassion in order to attract great souls that we are called to develop and, and so forth. So, you know, the balance is, is when you make a mistake, sometimes you overcorrect in one way. You know, I might show up on a call and hurt some people's feelings and be really tough on them. And, you know, and, and that is medicine for them. You know, I'm not perfect, but that's medicine for them. And and then it's medicine for me too. And that I, you know, have to now talk to some people that I've hurt the feelings of. Maybe I was short. Maybe I didn't eat correctly that day. And so I, you know, I, I wasn't being compassionate. And so each and every single interaction that you have, you need to go back and replay the tape of, and you need to ask yourself, how could I have done better? And the negative interactions and the, the times where, you know, you're out of alignment are the ones that are going to give you the most feedback, but you need those. Your team needs that medicine and you need that medicine, obviously within, you know, guidelines of mutual respect and so forth. You shouldn't, you know, um, you know, lose your temper and, and be triggered, but there's times where you have to be strong and say, I'm taking a stand here and you can, you know, you can leave if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, no team members like that, but if you don't do that, they'll often continue to push and, and, you know, and, and, you know, people have to realize that you're, you know, you're in charge. So there is a balancing between the two and, uh, and it gets out of balance a lot and you have to then learn from it and then fine tune it and continue to drive forward. Now, as a leader, you know, I, I find that entrepreneurs, you know, big goal seekers, hard chargers, the, it, it's constantly this hurry to get to the next milestone. And oftentimes it robs us of the present yeah. moment. Yeah. How, how do you handle that constantly striving, but also being very purposeful and present and intentional in the moment? Yeah, that that's where your, your routine comes in and your rituals. I, every single day, I spend the first couple of hours of my day meditate, meditating, praying, and learning every single day. Uh, I also contemplate during that time and reflect on the prior day. And I have a process where, you know, I, I seek to get better and I, I look at my shortcomings, the things that I need to let go of, the things that I need to, to leave behind. Um, and then I'm trying to be present to the universe and how it sends me signs. You know, there, there'll be a person that might say something and it'll stick and I'll go, no, I need to take a little bit of time off or I'm being cranky on these calls and I should be more well-rested or I should, you know, pull the schedule back a little bit. So you're constantly dialing in because 
as we grow and as we age and season and the seasons that we're in, you know, the variables are always changing. And so you have to look at your energy on a daily basis and you have to seek to optimize for really two things. One is your productivity and the other is your generosity. Mm. And by generosity, I mean generosity for yourself and generosity for others. If I allow my productivity to take too much of my time, it takes away from my generosity. And you truly, by being generous with my son, with my friends, you know, with my family, that's the check and balance to that of overproductivity. Because like, if I'm just you know, a taskmaster filling up my calendar with 15-minute slots, 18 hours a day, I will lose the generosity toward myself, toward my family, toward my pets, toward Mother Nature, toward some of the philanthropic things that I want to do. And so I'll be out of balance. I'll be out of alignment. So if you dial in generosity and productivity, you'll always find alignment. Mm, I love that. I call that kind of like the strategic selfishness of like when you give yourself what you need, everybody else gets the best and more of what you want to give them in the first place. Yeah. yeah, By the way, I, I see myself, my job is to bring the best energy that I can to my day and to continue to upgrade and optimize that. There were times where I burned out I'd be tired. I'd be with this hero complex. Look at how hard I'm working. And I'd be telling everybody about my 18 hours a day. And like when I hear modern day gurus talk about how they work 18 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, at the, at the, at the cost to their health and to their children, it's like, it's, it's, it's sad to my soul to think that a person would give all of their life toward you know, the status of being a more successful entrepreneur than the next person. Yeah. Like we need, we need to give a big portion of our life toward, you know, toward really extracting the greatest meaning and having fun and getting joy out of this place. It can't just be work. Yeah. That, that was, uh, I, I hit that kind of wall personally myself, you know, I've been doing personal development since I was like, I think my first event, my mom took me to, I was 14 years old. Um, you know, I'm 34 now. And it was a couple of years ago, I'd financially been doing great and, you know, building wealth through real estate and hotels and all that kind of stuff. And, and I had just kind of felt like, well, what is next? And so I actually started, um, you know, doing some plant medicine and going to ceremonies and, and different things along those yeah. lines. Cause a lot of it was all tactical, like just do more X and Y and Z instead of be more and, and, yeah. you know, more present. And, um, and, and that really like helped me transform and find what I call it kind of being weaponized of when I can find that sweet recipe that is not just being a killer in your bank account, but you're bankrupt in your health, your relationship, yeah. giving back to other people. But it was really being weaponized in all areas of life. Um, things just seem to open up and go to the next level where it almost kind of felt effortless. Did you find yeah. that stride when you hit that sweet spot for yourself too? Yeah, I break it down to four things. Mind, which is my meditation. I want to meditate like a Buddhist monk, right? You know, they're, they've taught us meditation in great ways. Um, you know, body, I, you know, I, I do boxing, I work out, you know, I'm constantly focusing on the body. Soul is my spirituality, my prayer, you know, my faith, diving deep into that, making sure I'm always making time for that. And I try to do my best to remind myself that every action I take is a spiritual action. And I try not to disconnect from my spiritual side throughout my day and not see division between the spiritual and the material, but to see everything that I'm doing is having, you know, strong spiritual consequence to it. And then the role. And by role, I mean the job that I do, 
the work that I do, the father that I am, the friend that I am, yeah. and making sure that I spend time in the multiple roles that I have, not just the one role of being an entrepreneur, but I, I, I wear five, six, seven hats, you know, and I want to make sure that I'm doing a good job in those hats. And so I, I break it down and then I make sure that I put an equal amount of time each day into the growth area. Now, it doesn't mean that I spend 10 hours a day on the body. I don't need that. You know, I got to get an hour to an hour and a half in, depending on the day. Yeah. But when I'm out of alignment, I have to go back and maybe, you know, get more focused over there. So if I allow for, you know, a vacation to, you know, change my diet up a little bit, then, you know, when I get back to it, I got to put more time into the body category. You know, so I'm constantly attempting to grow in those four quadrants. And as a result of that, you know, everything grows. Revenue grows, cash grows, wealth grows, it all grows because, you know, I'm not growing at the detriment of another area that's going to pull me back. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. How do you identify what you need to challenge or elevate yourself in based on the season that you're in? Well, what, is, what does that kind of audit process look like for you? It's real simple. It, it, you know, any resistance that I feel, like, you know, if I'm having a tremendous amount of resistance about writing the next book, that's where I got to go put my energy. It's not the things that I want to do because there's plenty of things that I want to do that I love to do yeah. that are that won't grow me. Like going to the beach all day is not going to grow me. But if like I know that I need to take a trip to the beach and I keep thinking about that and I'm resisting it, I'm resisting the plan for it, I'm resisting, you know, getting the umbrella packed up or whatever it is, then I know like that's the next thing that I need to do. And even the trip to the beach is going to give me some sort of wisdom. I might bump into somebody. I might have a revelation or an experience or a download that I'm going to bring back to my work. And so anytime I'm feeling the resistance creep in, uh, you know, that's a sign that I, that where I need to spend, that's where the growth comes from. So I might be resisting a confrontational call. I might be resisting, you know, organizing my desk and, you know, or, or given the extra clothes I've got to goodwill 
And it's like, no, that might be where the growth is. And so like, if I keep walking by the closet, seeing clothes from, you know, 1990s, and I'm like, I need to give it to the goodwill. I keep thinking about it. It keeps showing up. That's when I know, go, go get those clothes down, get it done, go to the goodwill. There's something there for me. Right. And it might be that I show up to the goodwill and I just get a feeling yep. and I go, yep, that's, that's what I need. That's why I was resisting that is my lower self was like, stay comfortable. My higher self was telling me there's something for me over there to go find. So as you have, you know, really transitioned into growth mode again with altar call, what is altar call? What are you doing? Why have you felt called there? And what are you excited about? You know, Altar Call is a community of spiritual entrepreneurs that we all have different faiths and, and so forth, but we all have one thing in common, and that is that you know we believe that the work that we're doing is for a, a greater purpose, that we're here to serve a, a higher, higher good or a higher power for that matter. Um, and the idea is that we help people alter their lives so that they can answer their calling. And we do that by breaking down principles, practices, modalities, methods, you know, we mentor them, we have coaches for them, we have a psychotherapist. You know, on the entrepreneurial roller coaster is it can be very lonely. Uh, it's filled with addiction, substance abuse, um, you know, lack of clarity, burnout. You know, it's there's no playbook for being, you know, a great entrepreneur. It is the last thing they teach you in school. I mean, not the last thing, they don't teach it at all. Right. So, you know, we're a mentoring organization and we primarily focus on entrepreneurs and people that have a calling on their heart to make great change in the world. And I've mentored thousands of them, and I have tens of thousands of students through our online courses. But I directly mentor through my uh, you know, coaches and facilitators a number of entrepreneurs. And now I've just attracted a team. There's about 29 of us on the inside of the walls. We're building it each and every single day. And our vision is to have thousands of coaches and millions of entrepreneurs as part of our network. How important are entrepreneurs to creating a better world? They matter more than anything. They matter more than athletes and actors and teachers and everything because the problems that government cannot solve, like the environment, the education system, the electric car, you know, space, uh, commercial space travel, you know, the list goes on and on and on. These are the problems that us entrepreneurs solve. And the Lord, you know, God knows we have a lot of problems. So everything like we talk about, you know, the droughts in California or the lack of, of, of healthy water or clean water for people. It's like an entrepreneur is going to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And so I want to work with entrepreneurs that have on their hearts to solve a mission critical problem. And then I want to teach them what I've learned, you know, in terms of how to scale and what I've learned through, you know, the trial and error and the, 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 the vast amount of mistakes that I've made along the way. So to me, it's like a re I'm a reverse venture capitalist. Like hmm. I, as opposed to being a capitalist where I invest in an entrepreneur like I used to, and then try to take their company from them if they don't perform and try to figure out a way where I can maximize my upside, often at their detriment. My job at, at, at present state is to invest in that entrepreneur, help them build a great company. And I fulfill my soul's purpose by knowing that I had contributed to the impact that they make. I'll tell you, I work with entrepreneurs that have hundreds of nurses on the front lines right now serving the elderly. I work with entrepreneurs delivering wireless communications and technology and AI and biometrics. And like I'm working with entrepreneurs that are doing amazing things in the world right now. Um, and so it's it's like it's the best form of venture capital I can do because, you know, I'm not uh, uh, working at their 
you know, at their detriment. I'm actually working in alignment with them. If they grow, I grow. And the more that they make their impact, the more that I make mine. Mm, so beautiful. And I know a lot of people are going to want to check out Alter Call, what you guys are doing, you know, what resources are available to them. Where should they go and do that? Just go to altercall.com. It's A-L-T-E-R-C-A-L-L.com. Or you can check me out. I'm at Real Ryan Blair on Instagram. And if you DM me, I'll get back to you. Perfect. Yeah, we'll we'll make sure to link all of that up at uh, millionermindcast.com on Ryan's episode. You talked about sharing what you've learned and we've gotten some great uh, you know, nuggets and gems today. So I want to I want to thank you and appreciate you for that. I want to kind of wrap up today's interview with what you've learned about wealth. You have reached financial and and wealth building milestones that very few people on the planet have ever done. And I'm curious, what what is what is wealth and the definition, your definition of wealth mean to you? Well, you know, I, I think a lot about, I have a 13-year-old son, and I think a lot about him becoming an entrepreneur and me being able to be his investor and to help him try a number of different types of entrepreneurial activities. And, and for me to be able to transfer on to him all of the, the creation that I've created and to have him be able to take it even further than I did. Now, obviously, yes, sign up for that. He's 13. You know, so far, that seems like what he wants to do. But we'll see. You know, he might decide he wants to do something else, and I'll fully support him on that as well. But I really think of wealth as, you know, as being able to transfer assets and wisdom onto the next generation. Mm. Um, I'm at the point now where I've accumulated enough wealth to where it's too much even to give to my son. And so I'm also thinking about how I leave that to other organizations that are in alignment with my uh, values and principles. I believe it's every single one of our duties to leave the world better than we found it. I don't believe in trying to uh, corner a piece of of the wealth that this society has been so generous to, to afford me. Uh, you know, at the detriment of everybody else. Like, I really believe that all of us that have the privilege of, of accumulating a tremendous amount of resources that all pretty much come from the earth in one way or the other, hmm. that we should be giving them back to the earth as best as we possibly can. That is one of the best definitions of wealth I've heard. And I've got 600 plus episodes. Of, wow. so, thank so thank you for sharing that. Um, talking a little strategy and tactics, you know, how do you protect your wealth and grow your wealth, especially in times like right now? You know, I, I'm extremely conservative because I take a tremendous amount of risk in my entrepreneurial endeavors. Mm. I, I run Alter Call at a break even. It's a multi million dollar business, but it's at break even. And some months we make a little profit, other months, you know, we make a little less. Um, but I, 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 I tend to run it with a significant level of discipline because I think you have to teach that culturally. Yeah. Um, but right now I'm, I'm ex, uh, extremely conservative. I'm, you know, I'm not jumping into Bitcoin and multi-tenant. And when I see things taking off, I often miss out on the upside opportunity of it. I've left more money on the table than I've ever taken off. And I think that, you know, that's the way it works. I think you have to leave, you know, a billion dollars on the table to take off a hundred million, right? Mm. I think that's the way it works. You have to learn to say no to things. So I say no to all kinds of stuff and I'm extremely conservative, especially during this time. But part of the reason why I'm conservative is because 
I've been through a lot of down cycles. I was a part of the Great Recession. I was a part of the dot-com bust in the late 90s, early 2000s. I was in the telecom business when the telecommunications industry melted down. So I've, I've seen you know, d- dark times. And so I'm always asking myself, how prepared am I for when things do turn against us? Mm, I love that. Always kind of hedging risk and looking at worst case and you know executing on best case. Yeah. With the... Well, one, sorry to interrupt you, but one thing I'll tell you in a startup, there's no greater investment than in yourself. Mm. You know, hiring a new team member that is going to launch a new initiative, hiring new salespeople that are going to sell new products, hiring people to develop those products, expanding your, your, your languages, your currencies, your reach, all of these things, you should be investing as much as you can in that because you have an opportunity to get a 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times return on those investments and you're in control of them. It's up to you to monetize them and to yield those returns. Anybody else that you give money to, you know, you have no idea if they're going to be the steward of your capital to the same degree that you will be. Yeah. So in a startup phase, I tell people, like, put the money in your startup. And I know a lot of other gurus out there will tell you, you know, oh, invest in me and invest in this project and that project. It's like, if you have a business that is not fully scaled and fully operating, then you should be putting your energy into that. Mm, I love that because that shiny object syndrome is probably the the greatest Achilles heel of every entrepreneur, right? And yeah. I mean, in my 20s, I, I'll raise my hand. I mean, I tried all different kinds of things and I had some great success in my investment, you know, flipping and construction and, and things like that. But there was a lot of other things that I, you know, got distracted by that it was like, you know, having a you know, filet mignon and, you know, potatoes and everything on my plate. And I was ready to go back up to the buffet line before I'd even, you know, finish one bite of the steak. Yeah. Steve Steve Jobs says, focus, or he said, focus is saying no. And that hit my soul. You have Mm. to learn to say no to, you know, when, when somebody says to me, Ryan, I have an opportunity for us to make a million dollars. I pride myself on my first uh, inclination is to say no to it. Mm. Because if I say yes to that, I'm going to say no to the thing that's going to make me a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important, you know, in terms of just going an inch wide and a mile deep until you earn the right to maybe start looking at some different branches off the core tree trunk. But most people don't even have strong roots and, you know, more focus of where they're chopping wood at every day. So on, on, on diversification though, you know, because you're an entrepreneur and you're heavily in this big risk zone, you know, you should make sure that you have enough cash you know, to weather a rainy day. And I always recommend that you have at least a year set aside in cash. Of OPEX. Yeah, and liquid assets to run your your, your life. So that way you can weather a storm, um, you know, a decent sized storm. I like to comfortably like to have more than that, just in case things get really bad. And I got, like we had to lock down with COVID. You yeah. know, for a year, my whole life shifted as did all of ours. And so I had to make sure that I was going to be able to make it through that year until you know uh, we got through the very difficult time uh, that you know the COVID represented for many types of businesses. Mine was a brand new startup that was doing events at the time. Mm. So like you know, I, sales went from like a couple hundred thousand a month down to you know zero basically. Yeah. And so I had to reinvent the business and go through it. But I had been through other difficult economic times, so I you know I I knew you know what was what what needed to happen at that time. But I agree with you 100%. If, if you have yet to actually build, you know, something extremely valuable, now's not the time to diversify. 
until you build that value. Once you do, then you want to diversify in such a way that you can make sure that you know your family's taken care of in the event that you have difficult times. And you want to find things that are uh, counterbalancing whatever you're in. So you know if you're in um, real estate, you want to you know look at the, the the industries that thrive when the real estate market is failing, for example. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So I was going to ask in terms of obviously you know you're big investment and and wealth has been through the vehicles of business but what what is kind of your diversification and allocation of your pizza pie of wealth look like right now yeah i own i own some real estate and i put a lot into tax free uh mini uh, muni bonds and things of that nature yep. which is ultra conservative but i'm i'm you know i i look more at what what's the income situation on these tax free muni bonds um and then i'll look at What's the probability of a bankruptcy, for example, in the muni bond market, depending on where I'm putting the money? Um, and so really ultra conservative stuff. When I did, have diversified in the past, because I got really into diversification for a minute, I realized that that did stunt a lot of my entrepreneurial creativity. You know, I owned a bunch of rental properties for a while. And I kept thinking about like, you know, these tenants moving out. And I kept putting my energy into that, that stuff. And I realized that all the things that I owned actually owned me and it mm. stopped me from actually building. And, you know, I, I've taken a page out of Elon Musk's book to a degree where, you know, he owned like five or six homes. At one point I had five homes or four homes. And it's like that stuff owned me, even though I had people running them and managing them, I still thought about them way too much. And so, you know, I've, I've really dedicated myself toward building altar call. And so I try to eliminate as many distractions as I can from that. And so my investments are extremely passive. And, you know, I, I, I invest in things I do not want to look at on a daily basis or even a monthly or, or you know, or yearly basis. Like I yeah. want stuff that I don't even think about during the year and five, 10 years from now, I'll look at it. That's a great point. That, that, that's something I subscribe to as well. Uh, you know, most of my investments are all in my own assets that I watch and focus and, you know, consider myself an expert on every day. If it is something that I'm going to throw money at, whether it's you know a syndication or you know a business startup or whatever it may be, it, it better be completely hands off, and I'm trusting in the team to execute and do what they do. Um, yeah, and willing to and willing to lose if they and don't, willing right? abs- absolutely. Yeah. I used to get emotionally like so upset at the entrepreneurs when they fail. <laughs> like I was the worst. I would I would get angry. I call them screaming. You just cost me a million dollars. Like I was not good. At giving money to people, uh, you know, I, I made a lot of uh, enemies by doing that because I was so emotionally tied to it. So, you know, I, I learned that about myself. Like as an operator, I don't want to put my money in other operators' hands that may not operate with the same level of, of, you know, of a passion and intelligence as, as you know, I believe I'm called to. So, what you're saying is, don't cross the OG Ryan the wrong way. <laughs> well. <laughs> You know, you can cross me. I try, I try to prevent myself from being around people that cross me. But, you know, I, and I, I regret, um, you know, I wasn't a good venture capitalist. That's why I exited my fund and got out of it. Because, you know, I, I would tell the entrepreneurs, you know, what I thought they should do operationally. And then I give them the money to do it. And then they wouldn't take my advice, but they would take my money. Mm-hmm. And to me, that like went against the fabric of my being that you've taken this money. Yeah. You know, I've told you, you should build the sales team. And I'd find out, the entrepreneur decided to take a trip to Greece. And that was the best use of the money uh, that I had just invested in the company, as opposed to hiring, you know, the product manager or the sales manager that I had insisted that they hire with the money. Yeah. No, I think what you brought up, though, is such a great point for... We, we, 
we already have so much distraction. We only have so much bandwidth, so much time every single day. And there's something to be said. I call it the swan effect, sleep well at night, or you can call it peace of mind money or just peace of mind in general of like taking a five lane freeway and narrowing it down to your fast lane and having the peace of mind. That's what's happening in the other four lanes is is fine, but it's not your lane to be in or to own or to worry about. And just freeing up that mental bandwidth just can make all the difference for productivity, efficiency, yeah. outcome, all of that kind of stuff. So you're, you're, you're speaking to my soul right now. Brian. Yeah. Well, you know, when NFTs hit or Bitcoin hits and all this stuff is fascinating and no doubt there's, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. There's great opportunity there, but I did the exact same thing. I just said, not my lane, mm-hmm. you know, like not my lane, as much as friends would brag to me that if you'd invested when I told you to, you'd have been you sure. know, made X or Y. Yep. It's just not my lane. And I'm not going to, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to go like I'm going to invest in the things that I'm really good at, that I have the uh, potential to create a significant yield uh, that I understand very well. And I don't want to go try to understand, um, you know, uh, Bitcoin versus this versus that. Mr. Ryan Blair, it's been an absolute pleasure hanging out with you today, brother. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to look you up when I'm down in LA at some point. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. I'd love that. Thank you, Matthew. I appreciate having time with you. And I'm sure as you know, if we, when we talk again, we'll compare more notes and uh, I see a lot of alignment between us. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info on how you can connect with us live, in person, all kinds of great valuable tools. You can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always wanna know, who do you guys wanna hear me interview next? Let me know, shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friend.